The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Discretion is advised. Hey everybody, this is Alexis and this is the Trans Advocate Podcast. Today we've got with us one of our regulars. I'm a regular, I'm Robin Mack. And our special guest. Isabel Longoria. Yes. Cool. So what's Isabel doing these days? I am running for Houston City Council. Oh my gosh, another one of those. (laughs) (laughs) That was a setup. Yes, Yes. another passionate person for civic engagement here in Houston. (laughs) That sounds like the line you've worked on. I get it. Well, uh, let's kick it off. I get it. I I feel the same about uh, politicians, right? Like, oh, it's another person who is inauthentic, who's going to come around selling promises. And I think having worked in this industry, working for elected officials for many years, I'm very sensitive to that. That the last thing I want to do, right? And this is what everyone says is be a politician. But what that I think truly means is be inauthentic. Right. uh, And to ever create any kind of false promise. But I'm very progressive. I'm also very pragmatic. So, So who have you worked for? I've worked for uh, Senator Sylvia Garcia on her campaign, district office, and legislative office. One of our favorites. Yeah. We're we're, we're fans. (laughs) (laughs) She just endorsed me today, so I feel very honored. Yeah. Uh, Representative Jessica Farrar. Another one of my favorites. Yeah. Back uh, back in 2011. And then I just finished up a stint with AARP, who is actually extremely uh, LGBTQ friendly and progressive. They better be. I send them money all the time <laughs> for membership. I'm, I'm a huge fan of our seniors. I always tell everyone you can get a membership sooner than later. Support your seniors. Oh, yeah. I you don't know? work for them anymore, but you can be a member at any age, and there's yeah. some really great info there. Well, and before you're interrupted, what seat are you running for? Uh, Houston City Council District H, which is basically uh, Denver Harbor, East End, North Side, North Line, Independence Heights, Woodland Heights, uh, East Sunset Heights, Monty Beach, First Ward, Sixth Ward, just to name a few. Sounds like a rap And I'm song. so tempted to say, would you run through those again? But I don't want yeah. you to. No, 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 no. It's a big L. Think of it, like 45 yeah. to 59 up in that area. And what are what are some of the things that that particular seat covers? Just for people who are learning. Well, my my next favorite tagline is that Houston starts with H. Uh, literally, District H has Allen's Landing, uh, where the Allen brothers landed and, and founded Houston as we know it today. Uh, it's got Woodland Heights, where we had the first German immigrants. It's got First Ward 6 and uh, Second Ward, which were the first kind of divisions, if you will, of Houston. Yeah. Um, it's got the East End, but really what most folks don't realize is where Allen's Landing is, so close to downtown, was the Alacran neighborhood, the neighborhood of the Scorpion, which was the the first Latino neighborhood in Houston, not until the 1930s. Okay. Um, and so it's got most of what we would consider the North Side and East End Hispanic communities now, uh-huh. uh, all the way north of 610. And it also has the areas just west of 45 that aren't quite the heights, but not quite anything else. Right. So it's pretty diverse. Yeah. And it's pretty wide. If you look at a map, it covers so, a lot of area. Yeah. So does it like run up airline area? Yeah, up it goes. The loop? Mm-hmm. It goes all the way up to basically the boundary with Alting. Okay, so you've got so, Little so, York so, too. So, well, you know, my, my favorite place that I shouldn't go regularly, Obolio, is in there. Good. Oh I'm yeah, well in there, <laughs> and yeah, all sorts of hidden gems with the taco yeah. trucks and taquerias yeah, exactly. north of that. <laughs> I think it's it's my also, bad part of town, but I'm probably going to have to run up there Mattress Mac. Mattress yeah, Mac. Yeah. Senior district. <laughs> Independence Heights, too. So the yeah. first uh, city uh, established by freed black slaves nice. in Texas. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I think in the United States. A lot of the questions I get from people who just move here, they say, well, why are these places called wards? Like some mm-hmm. people who move here don't even know our history. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you're speaking to it. You know, oh, um, I'm a big history nerd. All my yeah. friends make fun. I can't start any kind of speech without talking about the neighborhood we're in and well, the whole history. It's important and... to that neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that as someone who would be representing the neighborhood, <laughs> you know what's important over there. Yeah. So, so Robin, are you in District A? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm just checking. <laughs> this yeah. is all a setup. Yeah. 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 No. It's, it's well. You know. Uh. It's not. It's not a setup. I, 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 I had to check. Is this a setup? No. It's not a setup. So we we're opening up our platform to talk to people who are willing to run. Sure. And one because I'm getting to learn about it, and then our listeners are learning about it, and we kind of had that wave. Um, it was before Trump got elected where there was just like a lot of activism that was happening. You know, um, blacks were still getting shot in the streets. Polls happened. Uh, there was a lot of pressure with the Trump and Clinton campaign to just be an activist and, and, and get behind your politicians. It was a yes. sort of a new... Uh, wave of energy. Some of us are not new at activism, but there was this new call to everyone to hurry up and get behind something and call your people all the time. Yeah. And 
I think that one of the things that we wanted to do with this podcast is like sort of give direction and perspective because uh, activism burnout is real. Sure. And we all, you know, may be willing to do something, but we may not know what to do. We may not know how to pace ourselves. We may not know what half of this stuff means. And especially in the trans community with um, the rhetoric that was happening with the bathroom bills into this president, I mean, where do you even begin to get perspective? So having an intergenerational podcast has really helped us reach community, let people know authentic news, and then how to have self-care about it, how to have perspective about it. And one of the reasons why I asked you is uh, to come on here is I've always seen you be an ally in community before you were running. This is a district council seat, correct? Sure, yeah. What do they do? It's an excellent, well, uh, I'm going to touch on a million things here. So yes, district council members are tasked with having a geographic boundary. That's a nerdy way of saying it. But basically, we've got a certain square footage, and that's ours to really take care of and delve deeper with the constituent issues. I think at-large council members are tasked with the same thing. Um, but let's just say when you've got an issue in the district, you're calling your district council member first, usually, not your at-large, right? Because that's the person you've seen literally... Um, out at the parks, out at your local restaurants and grocery stores, you know, running over the same potholes so you know that they are going to be a little more intimately aware of the details of whatever issue you might bring up. Um, But, you know, to Robin's point, I I often get asked that a lot is, how do people like you so much, right? We just went to the GLBT caucus endorsements. Um, I was really proud to earn one of the top scores and then to to get the endorsement without any opposition. And I had some folks, because it was pretty contentious, say, how do you do that? And I said, it's not a do, right? There's not necessarily a strategy. I didn't plot it out. I just showed up to events because this is something I care about. Yeah. And I volunteered to do caucus screenings. I've literally had lunch and dinner with folks and, and met yeah. folks for coffee, not as a political ploy, but really to say, hey, you're cool. I want to be your friend. Yeah. And after a while, I just ended up with a lot of friends in the room. Um, and your friends are going to vote for you. So that's great. Um, and I'm really proud to say that that's not just the GLBT caucus, because I right. think folks will say to you, well, you know, she's lesbian. So that's probably why she got it. It's not just a GLBT caucus. That's mm-hmm. how I feel truly about building community is mm-hmm. if you go in there with some sort of agenda, we know it, right? We know when someone is coming to us to ask right. for something. And, and I, I think what it, people that don't know about the GLBT uh, political caucus or a lot of the new activist groups is that they really aren't naive people. The yep. new activist group started off a little bit naive, but they've learned really fast. And you do have that intergenerational and institutional knowledge, too, which I think some of the bigger caucuses either A, benefit from, you know, I think at the GOBT caucus, I I guess it could cut both ways. Either memory is long, and so if you fucked up 20 years ago, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the the air. Yeah, sure. We are swearing positive. (laughs) And in fact, we have a warning at the front of the podcast. Some some years you just have to cut it We also warn about nudity, just so you know. We'll get that to, the, yeah, to that later. All no of problem. On a <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Visuals later. Um, either you know you messed up twenty years ago, and someone will remember that, or there's people who are able to say, you know, in the short term she did X Y Z, but let's remember when she's been with us in the past. And people can weigh those, right? Um, right. What's well, a twenty year history worth to an organization, um, both through memory and activism, um, and how are we able to adapt as chi- times change? Uh, it's very easy now, I think, to hold people to a high standard, especially on language. Um, 20 years ago, I don't, you know, I don't think language held the same thing. I think it was brushed off more easily. So, so, so I'm going to go back to your yeah. job that you yeah, say yeah. you want. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Oh. Yeah, that's what you we're know, here to talk about. We're, oh. we're in Houston, which means there's a strong mayor form of government. Sure, yeah. And, and I used to say strong mayor slash council form of government, but recently people have been saying, I just forget the council part. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you work with that? If you're on council. So here's the good thing. Most of the work we do on every Wednesday on council is going to be things like buy light bulbs for the traffic lights. Okay, right? It's very hard to, you know, we need X number of traffic light bulbs every year. They're going to cost X amount. Maybe find a better deal. Maybe you don't. Rubber stamp sounds great, right? Uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that goes with contracts with making sure workers are paid fairly and some, especially some of the bigger ones and that contractors are, are really doing what they say uh, and efficiency. And for the bigger stuff, right? So the more, I guess, what we would call political hot button, um, you know, yeah, the mayor gets to lead 
what you do with that. Um, I think it's very similar to an environment that I grew up in politically of the Texas Senate, where you have a strong lieutenant governor who leads the agenda, and the other senators basically have to fall in line. It doesn't matter how fast you push a bill through the Texas Senate, it's the lieutenant governor who gets to decide if everyone votes on it. Um, In that system, and I'm a real nerd, with game theory and all of these things, um, there's a couple of things. You can either A, right, work with the leader and the mayor and build a relationship, and you should, (laughs) You should build a relationship. But then um, what I have a lot of clarity on is there will be days where I have to stand alone. Um, And what are the days that I'm going to be willing to do that? Because if it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't, I'd rather do it right. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather go ahead and do it. And so I think in a strong mayoral too with social media, there's another outside tool that we have to organize folks to put pressure from the outside and say, listen, you know, I'm trying to do X, Y, Z, and I need community groups really to step up as well and go to the mayor's office and use the power and leverage they have to get attention on this issue. Does that work every time? No. Do you have to pick your battles? Sure. Um, and I think that's why it's critical to in, to really elect, not just me, but um, city council members who you do think have the backbone in the spine to every once in a while say, this may be one of those standalone days and damn, I'm going to do it today. You know, what I have observed, I'll put it that yeah. way, is that a lot of people, when they go out and sort of try to activate their community support, do it in a way that creates a problem rather than actually solves one because they get alienation from the mayor's side and those sorts of things. And, and it, it seems to come from not having to try to work with the mayor before. And it's, it's a long-term plan too, right? Yeah. Uh, District H is one of the lowest voting districts in the city of Houston. Because of that, who's going to care to come to District H? right? Or to certain neighborhoods that don't vote. Because then that means to someone who like, listen, running a campaign is a big game. You have to find X number of votes. Um, The best way to do that for the least amount of money is to go talk to the people who always vote. There's not a lot of impetus to invest in communities and folks who, for whatever reason, and there's a lot that happens in life. Maybe it's raining that day. Maybe you have an emergency. Maybe you've never voted before. Maybe your parents have never voted for, so you don't know you can do that. Maybe you're a new immigrant who just got citizenship and aren't aware of your voting, right? There's a a ton out there. This isn't about, you know, knocking on any one person. But I, as a city council member, for example, am very interested in using my campaign capacity to go out to neighborhoods that don't vote usually to at least let them know that there's that option and they have a choice. And then in the long run, not saying, okay, well, I don't have to campaign for four years. I have a a vision or a plan to go out every quarter, pull together community partners, whoever wants to join me and block walk neighborhoods, regardless of if you registered or not and say, Hey, this is your city council government. These are your nonprofit partners. Here's what's happening. Maybe you can't make it to the civic club, but maybe here are some Facebook pages you can follow that as you're perusing in your time or whenever you can, these are places you can get information. Get on our mailing list so that if you don't have internet, at least perhaps we can mail you a couple things probably before you have to move again, right? We're trying to catch people with different kinds of information, but we cannot keep sitting at a civic club at the community park from 6 to 8 p.m. and saying, I don't understand why parents and kids aren't coming in droves for a two-hour procedural meeting, right? Um, And, you know, why don't they understand about civic engagement? Civic engagement is also a wonky term. So all all to get at, you know, one, yes, it's about building your own community. It's also about inviting the mayor and at-large city council members into that community and saying, hey, mayor, we've got a back-to-school fair. Let me know if you can drop by. No pressure if you can. Hey, mayor, we've also got this coming up. So that you're inviting that mayor to the good stuff as well as the stuff that might get hotter. Because you're absolutely right, Alexis. If we don't build that relationship in good times, how can we stand on it in bad times? And that's part of my personal philosophy that I was sharing earlier about building friends, right? Mm -hmm. It's because you need to stand with people, and build those relationships in the long term for the fights that are to come. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, too, we can't be scared of making someone upset. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> no. you got to be something a little bit nicer than just, you know, more than just nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think, you know, I, I think I've proven myself on Planning Commission to have that kind of backbone. Yeah, so do I understand correctly that you 
because of legal decisions are no longer on planning commission or, or will not be sometime soon. Correct. Because of a revised opinion from the legal department, yeah. <laughs> they preferred that I voluntarily resign uh, instead of there be any kind of sense of impropriety because another council member, uh, another planning commissioner had resigned as well to run for office. Um, so that sucked. I love planning commission, which for folks out there is um, the entity in the city where citizens, 21 of us, um, really look at blueprints and maps and say, okay, that should be built there that shouldn't be built there this is how tall it can be built this is how wide and etc it should be uh which sounds very nerdy and specific but um you know but if wait, you wait, walk wait. on a sidewalk houston, and it's yeah houston doesn't have any zoning you mean you're <laughs> looking no at we do that- not yeah <laughs> but we have a planning commission and that's yeah uh and everyone you know you think I that's knew really there was nerdy a group of people going this should be there and this shouldn't be there and forgot about this area i know it i knew it yeah. no no that's great uh, and then when you're walking along a sidewalk and all of a sudden there's a, a utility pole in the middle, that's that's on center I, I actually, point, not on us. I actually like that but. one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, someone really thought about this for more than Oh, that's seconds. a whole rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, but you get nerds like me who really love to talk about how wide a sidewalk should be. Um, and we go on there and talk about city plans. Uh, and, and I did um, have to step down from that. And I get it. Um, one of my things is ethics. Um, and I think something we should expect of elected officials more is even if you don't have to do it legally, what's the what would it look like for me to stay on planning commission? I think definitely some people would say, well, is she getting paid out? What votes is she taking? Da, da, da. I'd rather step off then yeah. if anyone thinks that would compromise my ability to represent them. Right. Good. No worries. Yeah. I, so, that's what I've known about Isabel. Is you're always willing to do the work, or like whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's important. What do you see? Let's uh, assume that November things go your way and – Suddenly, got to put that energy in the world, Alexis. Yeah. When they say, go and, my way. and suddenly you have one more vote than you needed. <laughs> so all you need doesn't matter how big. Yeah. It is. And so, I guess in January you're you're on city council. What do you think the first thing you're going to do is, other than say, "Oh my gosh, I won"? Now what? <laughs> oh, oh gosh, I probably am going to overwhelm my staff with day one plans. You know, I think day one plans are uh, bringing in staff that represent the community. And so really looking at ways to pay people appropriately, how we do that process and, you know, how we bring in not only paid staff, but interns in a manner that that makes sense. Um, I'd really love to get right away on those community programs. Let's go block walking. Let's tell folks about what's coming up. Let's put together these events. Um, I think, you know, step two for me and my background with Planning Commission is look at how we build things in the city. There are a lot of loopholes that we've collected since we last looked at it in the 80s. And we all start, we all know it in Houston, right? right. Things are flooding. Things are built too close to streets. Something feels off about how, how things are being built in the city. And that's a big fight. And that's what I'm gearing myself up towards. The part that I love is that we completely resurface the street. It's a wonderful street. And within one month, we cut big holes in it because now everybody wants to build something bigger next to the street. Yeah. And I'm like, didn't we just fix this? Oh, well, here's. It. I mean, and this is a large undertaking, especially in this district. I I've been to a few meet and greets, and whether you're talking about the bodies of water and the sewage that could possibly in it be in it, whether you're talking about uh, oh two highways being developed at the same time by TexDOT, who yeah. apparently is not our friend, like who yeah. pissed TexDOT off? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Um, it's a large issue. You it's know, energy, I mean, yeah. it's, it's you're you're being great about it, but I mean, it's it's going to impact a lot of people. Those are big decisions to ongoingly make over years. I mean, they yeah. take years to do highways in Houston. Well, yeah, you know, so decades. The, the <laughs> I forty five project, every square inch of that touches District H. Uh, it goes right through the middle and right on the borders. Um, here's my feeling on it. It is a dangerous freeway right now, it's right? It was designed for a different time with cars and the on-ramps and the off-ramps and they go fast. There's always a wreck. Do we need to redesign it to be more safe, safer? Yes. Do we need to redesign it to add four HOV lanes in the middle for single vehicle capacity that Metro may or may not invest in in the future for light rail, rapid bus transit, or basically these undisclosed projects? I need to hear something more from Metro. I need to hear a better plan other than, well, we're building the capacity. You know, if we build it, someone someone will come. 
we can't invest billions of dollars for, well, someone will come in the future. And then I think it's, it's a little asinine to you. You hear, okay, we're going we're gonna to build you a park right over part of the freeway, but you got to pass four lanes of people coming off the freeway at 60 miles an hour. So you can't do dogs, you can't do bikes. But if you get to the middle of this concrete heating pad, which we may or may not put grass on if someone finds money, then you can enjoy it. You know, well, why, why isn't that good enough for you? <laughs> my, 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 my opinion is that it, if it goes the way that I have seen the plans, sure. now the plans are really sketchy. Yeah, uh, but if it goes that way, it, it very well may be the solution to our homeless problem because they'll get out in the middle. They can't leave, you know. Safely. I mean, you're pretty much stuck there, and you Maybe have to you drop get to the, the net by yeah. helicopter or something. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, if anybody actually knows 45 and driving, it's already like a live version of Frogger. You know, you're absolutely right. The on ramps are so short, you have to basically gun it to get on, and there is always an accident. And And it's a huge life uh, lifeline to uh, the downtown city. Yeah, and the fact that they would probably do Hardy at the same time is just, I just, it's just mind blown. Like I can't, I can't. You know, with 45 currently, Lord help you if you have any mobility problems that you can't twist like 90 degrees on your spine. Right. That's the only way you can look back and see who's I, about to hit you. I yeah. am hyper mobile and I still have blind spots, you know, so my heart goes out to everyone. But but yeah, no, I appreciate you like taking a big topic because that's that's a that's a very touchy point in District H. Oh, yeah. And, and listen, and, and here's here's the kind of person I am. I know saying what I just said, someone is going to be like, well, we can't stand for that. It's got to be nothing. We should never make any changes to 45 ever. I I'm. I'm progressive and I'm a practical, right? Right. We need to make that safer for all of our residents. Now, the way they're doing it, for me, last last I heard, it saves someone commuting from outside the Beltway three minutes if they go from the Beltway to downtown. Three minutes on one end. And the other side, right, is pollution that falls in my district. Yeah. My district. In District H. On schools. On families, right? So it may save, I don't know. Air pollution, noise pollution, uh... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of pollution, sound yeah. pollution, and also we might lose our exits. So you know we're going to have a really big impact in our neighborhood. But yeah. there, there are people that are asking people to just stop until they get their planning under hand because they're yeah. even thinking about implementing this without actually having full funding, which is is weird when you're yeah. hearing about it as a layperson. Well, like the, what? The, <laughs> the thing about it is that there are projects that if you go ahead and start them and get to a certain point. They almost have to be funded so that the area doesn't shut down, and yeah. and unfortunately, that sounds like what they're sort of trying to do is force yeah. the funding. Well, yeah. and there's also during like we have large, uh, you know, hurricane seasons and things like that that I'm worried about. You know, I'm like, okay, we had representatives that would work with TechStot and get TechStot to agree to not do construction during. Uh, disaster times you know during hurricane season and now we don't have those representatives anymore so will the new ones be able to do that i don't know you know so i'll actually push back on those assumptions right if you started Uh, a highway project (laughs) yeah See, this is this is why you this is why you make friends. You can have different conversations. You know, if they if they start this project in whatever iteration and they start construction and all of a sudden they say we're going to pause in the summer, it's there will still be construction. There will still be things that need Stuff. to be fixed, right? Yeah. So I don't think that that actually fixes but, the we need to get out of the city issue no. to stop construction. You should <laughs> actually probably keep it going <laughs> to mean, get the project well, done faster if you're going to do it. Yeah. A, a perpet- a, the perpetual You're you know, the first person zone, to have an answer for me like, on that one. No no like, I mean, I'm literally saying, what yeah. the hell? We just had Harvey. Like, I'm going to need an exit plan. But here's, so uh, on that though. Yeah. Um, you know, I was here, I've, I've lived in Houston my entire life. Both my parents are immigrants, but I I was born and raised here. You know, I've been through the Rita's and the Ike's not too far away. If you are trying to get, and really for the greater Harris County area, 5 million people evacuating, it doesn't matter how wide you build those freeways, it will take days, right? That was one of the reasons the mayor and the county judge said we're not evacuating during Harvey because more people will get stuck and die literally on the road right. than if they take a chance. And we'll never know what that cost is, right? Um, because we can't go back in the past and measure. Right. But that idea, I think, is the same principle that unfortunately is being applied to freeways, right? We're yes. saying the, what I hear on the other side is we have to build a freeway that can manage our traffic capacity in the future. If yes. we're going to grow to a regional area, double in size, right, from about 5 to 7 million to 10 million, 
at some level, it doesn't matter how wide we build our freeways, it is going to be difficult to move around a big city. Mm-hmm. It's going to take time, like Chicago or anyone else, right, to move I mean, I mean, from the, the, the loop f- in. Physical right. size of cars Good start point. to take up all the space that exists in the county. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like I, picturing uh, LA just sitting there on six to seven lanes looking at LAX, like yeah. not moving. Now, now, now we do have a <laughs> much bigger advantage than LA does. Reliving an video right there. Because the mountains force LA into a little tiny strip yeah. for yep. it. We, we can spread out and just have to avoid bios but yeah and, and so you know i appreciate that because because you do get afraid and you don't know what go, all sure. goes into it and and honestly i've gone to enough meetings and i've said that and no one has an answer about it yeah. so thank you. there's there's a lot of fears and short-term problems that we want to solve for um and sometimes there aren't solutions right once we start construction on a freeway it's just going to take time slowing it down making it faster it's just going to take time to pour all that concrete and do whatever needs to be done yeah. there's nothing that makes that less miserable for people yeah. so why we're getting mad at tech stop that you know Things take time. <laughs> right. You know, if I'm getting a, a house built, right, I'm going to have to wait for that house to get built. There's nothing right. that's going to make, you know, living somewhere else or living in that house during construction any less miserable. Right. So well, why? And here's what it is. Sorry, Alexa, just ahead. real quick. What I don't want then is for people to use that as a bargaining chip in this tech stop fight, yes. because then tech stop will say, okay, sure, we'll stop construction. Is that what you want? <laughs> and then <laughs> they'll say, look, we gave you everything you want. And then you get them, you're like, well, shit, that's. Not actually, you know, we were just mad, yeah, we're moting, yeah. you know, that's not actually what we wanted. But. No, that's important. I, I think yeah. a lot of times people miss defining the facts related to the problem before they go yeah. solve it. Yeah. yeah the, the fact is that 45 or any highway eventually has to be either rebuilt or repaired sure. to the point where you're really rebuilding it like a foot at a time, which yeah. is a really bad thing to do. Yeah. And so, you know, you eventually do have to do something. Yeah. The second thing is there's a whole lot more people in Harris County in this area than there were when 45 was built. And there's going to be a whole lot more in the future. So you, you have to do something. Sure. Yeah. And the question is, what do you do and can you plan it so that it's the least inconvenient possible? Yeah. One of our problems in Houston is that we seem to do the bit of saying, okay, there's four routes where you can get someplace. Let's put them all under construction. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and that to me is poor planning. Yeah. Uh, and, and But we do it quite regularly. You know, you're, you're yeah. like, okay, this street's basically backed up because of construction you go look the next street there's more construction the next street there's more construction etc yeah i mean to to me the bigger issue and what is really you know everything's a big issue i don't don't mean to diminish it for any sure is the taking out the pierce elevated section and aligning everything to 59 right Yes. So you're, you're saying that no matter where you need to go, you've got to reroute around the entire city. So you're creating a choke point <laughs> where right. there doesn't need to be. Yeah, in one yeah. route, you are creating an artificial choke point where 45, Hardy, 59, and I-10 all meet. Right. And all they meet. already have like business buildings and things here. Yeah. So what and, is your and plan? And 288 is going to be extended up there some way or other because you got to get on it. Well, because it routes through 59, <laughs> exactly. right? So <laughs> essentially everything everything gets pushed in together. Um, and those are the bigger questions. And that's why I say, you know, I, I am not interested in actually standing up in front of a room and saying, I'm a progressive Democrat and I promise you, you know, no traffic and no pay never and healthcare Ooh. at no cost and all of these. Yeah. And I think there's some folks who push back and say, well, you know, you must not really be for our issues. And I'm like, yeah. no, I just don't want to lie to you right now. Right. Right. Let's define that problem. Let's have that tough conversation now instead of trading away, you know, peanuts to get nothing. Do you have any other topics that are you're passionate about that you want to do with your seat? We got, uh, I've been counting down that million and and we're 999,987 left. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Let's, uh, house, housing and urban development are really my passion. That's why I ended up on the planning commission. Uh, and district H has, uh, really the, three of the fastest gentrifying neighborhoods in Houston, uh-huh, East uh-huh. End, near North Side, and Independence Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit actually First Ward and Sixth Ward too. Yeah. Um, and here's the elephant in the room. You hear gentrification and everyone says, we hate it. Get done with it, right? Sure. And, you know, this <laughs> like is where really I tell you it's time. <laughs> Gentrification, all it, what's that? Uh, what's that quote from Einstein? Right, like time is relative depending on what side of the bathroom door you're on. Right? <laughs> you're waiting to use a restroom, right? Time is going very really? fast. Yeah, That's you're inside relieving yourself. Understand. Yeah, time yeah. is going really slow apparently, or vice versa. I it's can't remember. But the, it's, yeah, it's, it's you know going really slow standing outside really fast when you're in there. Yeah, <laughs> thank Did you. Isabel yeah. just bring a bathroom quote to the trans podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and the theory That's of relativity. Nerdy. Yeah, <laughs> there, there were a couple European cities that 
to, to make bathroom use in public restrooms that were sort of on the street more yeah. efficient, did a five-minute time limit. And Whoa. the doors would just pop open. Oh, I've been to those. <laughs> I have been to those. Yeah. If you don't know about those, it's a little interesting. Yeah. I, I have not. Yeah. So One I, side I, of the bathroom door is more exciting than the other in that yeah. case. Uh, and just to be clear, I think folks should use whatever bathroom they feel comfortable no, sure, in. Yeah. Sure, uh, yeah. But, but, but to, as, as it applies yeah. to housing, um, <laughs> let's talk about gentrification, right? Um, you've got folks who are looking to chase the American dream and have a home, a place they can call their own. Um, I think when the average family ride or person is looking for a house, they're saying, okay, where's a neighborhood I can more or less live in in my price range? Right. For folks, that price range is going to be under 250000 as a sweet spot, maybe even less. The only places you can do that right now are second, third ward, second ward, fifth ward, um, Near Northside and Independence Heights. Yep. Some of those areas are less desirable, straight up, Fifth Ward, because two reasons. One, there's a black community there, and yep. the nickel, as it used to be called, had a lot of violence back in the day that some folks still remember and think that yep. is the case. And I yep. don't like that narrative, but I'm just talking broadly, right, about no, why it's if, not. Yeah, and if you're driving through it and yep. you don't know anything, you might easily guess that narrative because yep. it hasn't been kept up. There hasn't been a lot of funding over there. Like, it can be scary. And and But that's the second point, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the Fifth Ward uh, CDC really talks about this. Um, their issue is not necessarily gentrification. It's blight right? Mm -hmm. If you don't even have the properties that people want to buy or feel they can easily invest in to rehab for themselves, that's a much bigger problem than in the East End and near North Side where you have some properties that, yeah, they require work, but the price point is there. So, you know, gentrification is, is also people who have lived in those neighborhoods and said, you know, maybe it's time for me to retire. Maybe I'm worried and I've needed a big infusion of, of money for healthcare or whatever family need I have. Sure. This is my chance to sell my 100000 yeah. house at 300000 I better take it because we don't know what the future holds, right? Yeah. So I don't, it's not as easy as saying, well, there's people who are in and they're literally forcing, you know, poor folks out of their homes at gunpoint and, you know, it's this big malicious yeah. thing. It's, it's boiling the toilet. It's this stuff that happens over time. Yeah. Um, and that's the issue with gentrification because I can't sit here and tell you, well, no, you should still only sell your house for 100000 even if someone offers you 300000 because think of the greater good. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) Just thought I'd mention that. You know, one of the things that bothers me about the way a lot of the gentrification is happening is uh, people who are renting. The landlord says, okay, you know, I'm getting rent based on the $150,000 I spent for the building originally, but someone just offered me $400,000 for it. Yeah. Well, the landlord is probably going to be crazy if he doesn't take it, or at least he's thinking seriously about it. Or she. Or she. And... uh, (laughs) fair and, and uh then what happens is you have the people who are renting that can't find any place to live yeah right and and they really didn't get any of the benefit what they got was put on the street yeah you're absolutely yep. and so i believe uh 50 of houston are considered rent renters right you're right um that's i think a much bigger percentage than people realize and but we've all probably been there in our lives right at some point mm-hmm. if you've been a renter you've got to assume someone else is a renter too um, and you're right. The last I heard statistic before Harvey, we were 300,000 units behind in affordable housing. And that's defined as um, 120% or less of average median income. So basically, if you make less than 86000 a year, there's probably very limited resources or spaces for you in Houston. And that was before Harvey. And you hear 186000 too. Or sorry, you hear $86,000 that's not chump change either, no, right? No, that, that's reasonable income, really. That's reasonable know. income for folks who are kind of in white-collar professional jobs. There is not housing for folks to buy yeah. or to rent in that range. And and sorry, to, so for yeah. all the nerds in the world, uh, affordable is desi- defined as something that only is less than 30% of your monthly income. So if you make 3000 a month, you should be able to find a house that's less than $1,000 a month. No. Mm-mm. So, you know, I, I, I take issue with townhomes, not because it... I think visually for people in the neighborhood too, it it signals gentrification is coming, quote unquote, right? All of a sudden I have these big, literally taller than my house, new looking, usually white or gray that have never been there before. It's very visually striking. But from a design perspective, here's where I start worrying. And this is from my AARP days more than anything. 
Um, if we start building townhomes that are three or four stories, it's not great for older folks. It's not great for folks who have any mobility issues. It's not good for young families with kids, you know, looking to walk. Um, and you know, if you take one property and build it or divide into two and you've got a door that faces a street, maybe I can stomach it. When you create the one property into six or eight, so you're shooting the property value up, right? From one to usually 10 times as much. Um, and they're all facing in and they're behind a gate. You're creating a mini gated subdivision that um, I can't, if, if it doesn't pass the trick or treat rule, right? If I can't right. come up to your door and engage with you as a, ne- a neighbor, then we're starting to isolate people more. Yep. Uh, so that in times and, and, of crisis. I, I do yeah. agree with that. And that, that's one of the things, I mean, obviously I live in a townhouse from what everybody's been hearing. And it was one of the first townhouses <laughs> in this area. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I like all of the different ones they're building. Because once you throw the gate in the front or you have to walk down between the townhouses to get to each one of the doors, it loses all of its friendliness at all. Yeah. Or you fit maybe one car in the garage, and then this is what people really hate. Then you got a lot more street parking, and oh, then if I have a party, now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. let's this, get into this. this, this yeah. We're going to do button. parking and stray dogs next, so fire away. Yeah, yeah. I, stray dogs I don't worry about. I seem to get along with them. They, they don't attack That's me. That's because you don't have six to one in your neighborhood. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. When you got a dog gang coming from you, you, you tend to worry about the gangs, and I'm talking about the dogs. Yeah. One of the things that I... If I have time to ask people that are running that come on this podcast, I ask them, like, what what does their self-care practice look like? Because it is a marathon. Activist fatigue is real. It doesn't have to be a perfect answer. It could be pretty honest. Like, what does that look like for you, given the fact that you're in mid-campaigning? You know, for me, the hardest – I've never been great at self-care. I'm one of those. I burn out constantly. So that's the truth is um, I've had a pattern of, you know, I go really hard and then all of a sudden I just kind of disappear for a day or two. And, you know, in my own house, just watching Netflix and eating junk food. Um, One of the hardest things on this campaign for me has been finding consistent, healthy food. Because I wake up, I'm working, maybe I wake up late, maybe by the time I actually remember to eat, it's a noon, I want to grab something really fast, I forgot to cook the night before because I was doing other stuff, and so now I've grabbed a burger. All right, my whole day goes by, Uh, I'll forget to eat again because I'm going from meeting to meeting to meeting until midnight, what's the only thing open at midnight? probably fast food either my local taqueria yeah, joint yeah. or whatever right it's, it's a not a lot of vegetables like, waffles queso and jack the box tacos burgers yeah, yeah i mean food trucks are Water nice burger. down here they're, yeah they're, they're really, yeah I mean, that, that's that, true you know it's like food trucks are jack in the box and i'm like uh um, but yeah we'll do the food truck yeah um and then and then i realize i've gone several days without eating a vegetable uh, I try right now. I, I'm it not. Happens. Yeah. I, and, and I don't like it. Right. You feel, <laughs> I feel run down. Yeah. I, you know, it's delicious when it's first happening, sure. but, uh, sure. so it's figuring out. And so I've, I've learned to reach out and ask for help for folks, uh, who are offering and saying, you know, I, I may not be able to block walk or donate. I say, can you just send me like some kind of casserole that has a bunch of veggies in it that I can just heat up? And they say, <laughs> right. yes, Super right. Easy. Like, yeah. let me put something in your freezer. And I cool. say, don't put it in my freezer. I'm never going to bake it. Right. Just <laughs> yeah. ready, make whatever you're, you're <laughs> bringing. Your I promise I'll eat it that yeah. week. Yeah. Um, and just asking for that help. There's tons of ways that people can volunteer. That's good. Um, what are some of the other interesting ways people are volunteering? Because I, I like yeah. your campaigning strategy. I happen to see you. you know, well, I, I do like see you going. Like food. Oh, yeah. food. Like, that's great, right? Yeah. Healthy food, please. I see you going to um, the businesses in your area because I do follow you on, on Facebook. But um, So there's obvious, there's obvious block walking and yeah. phoning. But is there any other things that you're doing? Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm so. just making it up. But. No, no. Uh, my campaign is, is is the dream campaign. So I used to run campaigns for others. Um, and it's all pretty much a formula. You got to go talk to X number of people and hope that percentage of them, you know, turns out for the election. You mail them, you talk to them, you go and knock on their door. That's kind yeah. of your... Now so we're adding a little more that. digital. There's always that bread and butter. There's no way of getting, you know, gotcha. if you need to talk to someone to tell them who you are, you got to be them. able to get in front of them. Yeah. So I know folks get annoyed with campaigns and they're like, well, I hate people coming to my door. And I say, okay, if you don't want anyone to mail you, you don't want them to come to your door, you don't want them to be on your Facebook and you don't want them to call you, how would you like to magically know that you should look them up and research them? Right. How would you like 
us to then magically transport you to you any kind of information because then yeah. they get to the voting booth and they say, well, no one ever called me and talked to me or got on my Facebook. So, right. you know, how was I supposed yeah. to know about them? So it's a little bit of a catch-22. Right. How would I know you like annoying, the quality but... of your life to be represented if you don't tell the representation what you need? Yeah. We got to, just like any other yeah. business, right? We got to get information to you somehow. Yeah. Uh, some folks do it better than others. But it, on my campaign, right, some of the things I'm doing <laughs> differently. You start a complaint line. <laughs> Text here all your complaints about yeah. Houston. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. part of the job. Um, is we go block walking in every neighborhood. Okay. So some folks will tell you or have told me you should only go block walk in Woodland Heights. They're the highest voting box you have, and so don't concentrate on anything but Woodland Heights. I love Woodland Heights. That's where I live. There are some great civically minded people. There's also other neighborhoods where sure. people want to know sure. who they're going to be representing. Yeah. That's yeah. it. If you're doing it right, you really are getting neighbors to talk to neighbors, yeah. and it sometimes cool. requires a much bigger machine than what I have. But uh, to some other creative things that I'm proud to stand by are um, eating every day in the district, right? I'm eating now because I'm not cooking at home. I want my dollars to go back to the district. And we know that when we buy local and support local businesses, that money is more likely to stay in Houston through wages, through people paying for little leagues, through whatever it it may be. It counts more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we also have all of our events as best we can in district H. And I say that cause we've only had one just outside, but what happens is people say, Hey, I want to host a fundraiser for you or an event. Um, but let's, let's do it on my part of town. And I'm like, Oh no, no, let's do it in district H. And they say, well, you know, I've never been over there. I don't know anything. I say, well, here's a list of businesses. Yeah. We'll set it up for you. And for me, the idea is, is not only supporting district H business, sure. but district H specifically, we don't have a major economic center. We don't have any major uh, educational institutions, quote unquote. We've got UHD and HCC and some of the community college and community colleges, but kind of the, uh-huh. the, the nicer ones. And I say that very right. in quotes for everyone listening, sure, right? Sure. We don't have. So folks say, well, that's a lesser than district. Right. If we keep saying we can't even host events, we can't host fundraisers, we can't have you in our meetings in District H, how mm-hmm. can I expect anyone to pay attention later right. when I need their support? Right. Because if I say, well, fine, we'll host the fundraising events in River Oaks or right. even in Montrose because those are the nicer <laughs> bars, then we're already saying by our own actions, there mm-hmm. are certain neighborhoods that deserve to have civic engagement yep. and there's those that don't. So I've been pulling all of the events into District H. Yeah. Um, Neat. Those are kind of the small details that I'm really proud to stand by. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing because I think some people who maybe do know about campaigning, they're like, you know, it's Houston. I'm not even walking on in my own right if I can outside because it's hot. <laughs> so what else could I do? Yeah. You know, so that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And what else you can do? We're in a digital age. Share, yeah. share, share how, on social how media. How people find you? Uh, uh, my Facebook is at Longoria 4H. So like Ava Longoria 4H. Uh, and then my website is isabellongoria.com. It's all pretty easy and straightforward. Wonderful. And if you don't see, if you see something on there you don't like, you think we're not being progressive enough, please, please, um, let me know because I'm open to change and evolve, evolving. And that you're only happens if you're we're progressive. What? I, mean, I said, you're assuming That's we're true. progressive <laughs> in the people you're talking to. That's true. <laughs> Call me to progressive uh, standards because that's how I identify. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, <laughs> thank a, you for coming. No, on. no, no we're done yet. I got oh, another no. question. Oh, okay. Oh, no. Yeah. We, no, I'm you can't fire it up. The, I'm all thinking the the patreons and everything. No. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. getting there in a minute. But oh, okay. no, no, I've got a question for you because this, this is yeah. one that uh, I've got one hour by the way. So you're good. Yeah. Okay. Good. One hour left. One hour left. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So I got two questions. You just did that. No, I love the, this stuff. You know, one of the big things that I, I, you hear a lot from candidates for city council is uh, all sorts of national issues. Yeah. Now, you, you can't really do much about them directly, yeah. but but I think there are some issues that you think maybe, or that some people think maybe the city of Houston should take a stance on or, you know, essentially make sure that there's sort of a sense of the council or sense of the, yeah. the, the city. Are there any of those that, that you think Houston should be a little bit outspoken on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, let's... Let's jump straight to hot button issue number eight, right? Immigration. Um, <laughs> I like how she has her own little Vanna White habit. Like, yeah, she's going to turn that card there. All right, this is good. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, immigration. Um, both of my parents are immigrants. Uh, they uh, were, were able to use uh, kind of more formal means of immigration, right, and, and being nationalized and born, et cetera. Um, for folks who that is not an option for many, many complicated reasons in the world, um, 
I think we need to be more of a welcoming city. I think that we are a welcoming city and we know we have a high number of new immigrants coming in really on the daily. That's because we have the port. We're at the nexus of major freeways in Houston. We have two major airports now. You know, there's a lot of reason that folks come to Houston. Um, the things we can do at the municipal, I can't vote on on immigration law, right? I can't stop any wall at the border. I can't change how visas are done or any application. That's a federal or congressional issue. What we can do at the city is say, we don't need to use extra resources to support any of the uh, immigration detention facilities here, right? We can make it as, as not difficult, but we can make sure they are following every letter of the law, right? right. Uh, which is something they did when they were first trying to apply. Um, we can provide, for example, at Greyhound, um, when folks are being um, bussed over from El Paso or released from the detention facilities, uh-huh. uh, or even I think at, there's one out in Huntsville, they get dropped at the Houston Greyhound station. Right. Nothing. With nothing. They have to expect maybe there's a lawyer or someone helping them out. Um, I experienced that because a year ago, almost to the day, I got a call from a friend of a friend who was friends with a lawyer in Chicago whose client was being dropped from Huntsville in Houston, and they just needed someone to purchase a phone for him, bring him a t-shirt, maybe some snacks because he needed to jump on a bus to Florida to hopefully reunite with some family that he could live with for a couple of days before his son, who had been taken from him and then sent to Michigan, got flown to Orlando. That's a lot of logistics. We get there to the Greyhound station, and I realize this guy's terrified. Right. He's been living in, in absolute trauma and fear for three months. He's got to get on a bus, which he doesn't speak a lot of English. The first phone call he wanted to make was to his wife and daughter and let them know that sure. he was safe sure. and say, I'm going to find our son. Uh, my friend and I ended up uh, taking him in the car and driving through the night to get him to Florida so that he could sleep in the car. Wow. Um, because sometimes, and this is what I'm getting at, you know, and, and then his, I haven't heard from him since. He's living his life. He's doing his thing. I'm mm-hmm. not a savior. I'm someone who was able to take the weekend to make sure that someone could be in a car with people who he knew were safe, who could help pay for all of the food along the way instead of just giving him granola bars and a T-shirt and saying, good yeah. luck. Yeah. Um, sometimes what it's going to look like at the city level, right, is setting up an immigration fund for local folks to use for lawyers, right, for access to legal help, uh, for whatever they may need here in Houston. Sometimes it's going to be coming back from that Florida trip and ringing the bell for all my friends that work in immigration saying someone has to set up a sustainable system at Greyhound, which I think they have now, right? There's a couple of nonprofit folks that get together and have basically resources and change and stuff for immigrants. And sometimes it's doing it yourself, right? And driving through the night or standing up for immigration issues. And like right now, not turning away and saying, because this is what a lot of municipal candidates are doing. Well, that's a federal issue, so I don't want to get into that. Sometimes you have to stand up for the issues that matter to a community, even if you don't have formal power over them, because your voice will matter as a leader in the community. And I really appreciate that. That's what I love about Sylvia, you know, is like I had said before we got on here that um, when she was at a Texas level, she was willing to speak out and some would say, Oh, like that's so easy to do because, you know, they were at a major, uh, a minority situation during yeah. the bathroom bill. So she could talk all she wants and it's like, but at least someone did. Yeah. And how many people saw her speaking up for them, especially youth, especially people yeah. who wanted to, to finally hear representation, representation say that, especially when we were going through hardship and, I don't uh, doubt for one second that that happened because with the amount of um, homeless trans youth yeah. calls that we get uh, individually, just because we're known in community, I like I'm no stranger. Alexis is no stranger to getting calls at weird hours saying, uh, "I I just thought you might know where to send this person." I was at Walmart. Yeah. They're outside. They're authentically homeless. They're they're um, very scared. They're, you know, I talked to them and now I need to know where to take them. And in yeah. the middle of the night, that's not the easiest thing to do, yeah. um, to say the least. And so you're, you're walking this caring person through the scenario to help for another person that is going to have a lot of roadblocks and, in, in whatever next part of their journey they have. And I haven't heard back from almost any of those people, probably because they don't have a phone, probably because they never knew me, yeah. probably because they're still dealing with roadblocks, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and, and, and we do see some every now and then that 
basically get their act together. They're going to school or they're going uh, work-wise. There's a couple that I know of. And, oh, and, sure, sure. And, and, you know, and that's great. Yeah. yeah. But, but the key isn't to sort of, as, as you sort of said, to be the hero. The key is to do what's right. Right. To do that next piece, to help yeah. someone on their journey. And, and you know, like I said, it's a it's an immense amount of privilege that I was able to take off for that weekend, mm-hmm. that I had a friend who had a car, that we had the disposable income to essentially do a cross-country road trip overnight and help <laughs> right. this guy. Right. Right? right. That's not an option for everybody. I get it. Right. But for those of us who it is an option, I do feel morally bound to help folks where I can, whatever yeah. little bit I can. There's reasons why you're the one getting that phone call. To be honest, yeah. it's all the work that led to you being known for you to get that call, you know, and yeah. for you to pick up and respond that way. Um it's just how I know you to be, and, and I'm glad you're able to do that. And, Thank you. But that's what, you know, um, Ashton P. Woods was here, and, and he was saying, like, the voice of the people is necessary because uh, lots of reasons. But w- that's an, a good example of, like, you are aware of the roadblocks, yeah. and you're aware of what it takes, and you're, you're present to, okay, your scope of where you can make a difference and where you can't. You can still help activists you can still you know take them to whatever org is set up or help set up an org you know that sort of thing so um i just think that that's great i'm glad you went with hot button number eight (laughs) and to to tie it back if i can to some of the issues we've been talking about um you know you you were saying i I don't know whether you can or not but you can try yeah we can try i can try i like trying (laughs) dig Um, us out of this hole You know, you said you really admired Sylvia Garcia for for standing on her own at the I'm Texas legislature. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's what it takes. And, and what you were saying earlier, Alexis, about language. And I did make a flipping comment of, oh, well, it didn't matter before. And you're like, no, it did matter. But we, it was harder to push on it. I think that's the point, right? Is yeah. in this moment right now, when you're standing alone, is the moment in 20 or 30 years where someone's saying, I'm glad they started, right, kicking the can down the road. I'm glad they started, right, whatever metaphor you want to use yeah. so that now we have the groundwork to build off of but someone has to keep digging that hole building that whatever you want to i love metaphors and and the other thing about it too and and this is something i think a lot of people don't realize not everyone's good at doing the same things yeah and if you're looking at activist communities or progressive individuals you know all this sort of stuff some people are really good at uh getting 100 people together with megaphones standing outside somebody's office and screaming at them other people aren't oh i get well and if you're super conservative and you know you're you're very well kept to your very quiet ways and you're a good, responsible, respectful citizen and you show up and you say, well, I want respect, so therefore I'm going to give it to other people. Conservatives make a really big difference just by saying that, you know, just by standing up for those things because we do have all types of listeners and we do deal with all types of people and, and, um, and everyone can make a difference that's in front of them how they can. But you're right, it's different, you know, per person. And I'm just sick and tired of the excuse of, well, I mean, immigration's always been a problem. Like, well, so? Like, so is parking. So is housing. That doesn't so mean is, it yeah. needs to continue <laughs> yeah. to be a problem. I mean, can we start somewhere? Yeah. And, and immigration hasn't always been a problem. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not that long ago that people were just welcome. I will say, it, I, in the sense of pushing back, right? I think that has always been a question of who is part of our tribe and who isn't. Uh-huh. That's, I think, really at the question of immigration. Um, and that, you know, we call it immigration now, but it's been called different forms. Who's part of our tribe and who isn't? And therefore, who deserves the resources that our tribe has and who doesn't? Uh, to some degree, I mean, I, I would push back on some of that because yeah. one of the big things about oh, it is... You both are so pushy. <laughs> oh, I can show you pushy. <laughs> I love it. I mean, that's yeah. why I'm in this yeah. business. Yeah, let's yeah, parse it out. The, the big thing about it is if you really look at it from a sociological standpoint, mm-hmm. we had a long time in this country where we clearly needed people. Yeah. And, you know, there, there weren't enough here to do what needed to be done, etc. Now, a lot of people are feeling like, well, we don't need people anymore, and a lot of politicians... Uh, are ignoring the fact that we do need people. We need people to do work, et cetera. I mean, the, the fact that the unemployment rate is absurdly low says we need bodies to do work, and, and you can't find bodies for a lot of the jobs that people do. So, so we need immigration. I think the biggest thing with it was it was like who gets to be on top, if you will, or who gets to be the yeah. boss versus the, the worker in that. And, yeah, and, excellent point. And, and group after group after group has been discriminated against when they come in, which – 
I, I personally don't understand, but it is exactly the way it happens. And you yeah. just you watch it, and then eventually another group ends up in the "we're going to pick on you" mode, and yeah. and the previous group sort of assimilates, and they're usually the one picking on the next group, and and it's sort of like could we all just sort of forget this pick on and just get shit done? The answer usually is no, and no, so you yeah, have to work through it. all of it. <laughs> Uh, there's yeah. finite resources in the world and we have to decide who and how people get them and all that. Right. And that, and that's what government is. And that's where I want to you know, pull back yeah. an extra level is government is not someone trying to tell you how to live your life. Government is saying we're a population, we're a big tribe, right? All of us, however you want to define that, we got to make certain things happen in this area. And so how are we, who's going to be the people that are kind of the organizing bees while there are some worker bees who are literally, you know, making commerce happen, making jobs happen, making housing happen. Right. Everyone's I mean, I, got a job in our community. I, I know people in Houston that hate business. And I'm like, yeah. think about this for a minute. <laughs> let's, let's think about yeah. it. And then, of course, there's a bunch of people that hate oil companies. I'm like, yep. once again, let, let's back off and think a little bit here. Yeah. How much do you hate them when you're putting gas in your car? Yeah. I well, mean, like, some, just, with the prices, I sometimes yeah. hate them. <laughs> but, but the other yeah. thing is that you look at the economy and all the stuff that you can do and the fact that Houston is very solid economically. Sure. Uh, if the oil companies all disappeared, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I think part of it is to sort of take the approach of saying, look, it, it's a huge community and you have to balance all sorts of things. And, it's easier to work with some of these groups than it is to just say, oh, I hate them. I'm never going to talk to them. Yeah. I don't think we should. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say. There are some groups who are bigoted and we should oh, not absolutely. work with them and oh. who are not going to see the humanity in anyone. I will still I don't talk think to that them. is necessarily like businesses. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I will talk to them all sure, day long. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I will say as an elected official, too, um, you know, it's different on the campaign. But once you're an elected official your door is open to absolute everyone. It has to be. Regardless of what your yep. philosophies may be in theirs, your job is to serve every single constituent, and I believe that wholeheartedly. You know, this is another, I think, radical idea that I want to throw out is um, being an elected official would be my job, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can like me or not like me as a person, and you can think I'm doing a great job or not, that those are two separate things, right? Someone right. can, I can go to you know, again, McDonald's and yeah. know nothing about that person and still think they're doing a good or bad job. Who knows? Right. right. But like, it, it's odd to be an elected official and, and be one, a campaign is the world's longest resume project, right? Like it's the world's <laughs> longest yeah. Yeah, <laughs> job true. application process. That's everyone true. literally in a community votes on whether or not you should have a certain job. And then everyone Whew. in the community yeah. gets to vote on whether or not you did a good or shitty job. How many of right. you have been in that workplace, right? Where no matter <laughs> right. what you do, there's always going to be someone yep. who just is not happy to be there yep. or you don't like them. And I get it. But, you know, I think we need to change that mindset too. It's not this all... Elected officials aren't like just kind of these these folks trying to sit in an ivory. Well, some are. I'm not trying to be someone who's sitting in an ivory tower, right? I right. am elected by folks to do a job. Either I do that job well or not. I think there has to be a little bit of grace of you know I'm a human being and some right. days I'm going to stumble. Right. What's the difference between an honest mistake and stumbling and learning and evolving? Or there's just perhaps a systematic flaw or way of thinking that is not going to change whether I'm in or out of office. And can you? be behind that or not. You know, I think that's the choice of democracy. People have choices. They get to evaluate who they want to be, the kind of organizer be for a set period of time. If you don't like it, vote them out. That's vote true. them out. That's democracy. That's no one true. is entitled to and, a job. And a lot of people don't like democracy when it doesn't go their way. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain levels, like the presidential level, that I keep saying, you know, I would love to have someone that I wanted to vote for running once in my life. Yeah. I mean, I I'm very familiar with presidential candidates, everyone after Eisenhower. And, yeah. you know, we always end up with people that you got to hold your nose and vote for. Is that how long you've been on Earth, Alexis? A while. She's the baby boomer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's put it this way. In December, it'll be 71 years. <laughs> and, and, you know, and a lot of it is it's like, okay, you just figure out after a while, this is the way it is, and you have to nudge it rather than completely change the world because it yeah. doesn't change that quick. But then yeah. you keep nudging, and it sort of moves. But, but, you know, part of it is that everything in politics is a compromise, and the idea is not to give up your principles when you're compromising. Yeah. Because there yeah. are times when you're like, can't compromise on that period. Yeah. And you have to be that way. But then on things that you can make a trade off and, and get where you want to get, that's fine. Just don't trade off rights for transgender people like some people have done in the past. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I mean, you know, some people voted the people that I've mentioned in, and I'm sure they would hate it if things changed. And, you know, 
just because I want someone to do a good job or a better job doesn't make them do it any better, yeah. you know, than what they already have planned for whatever reason. So yeah. you're absolutely yeah. right. They're human beings doing a job. And, and, and to y'all's point, I think it would be interesting. You know, we do a lot of questionnaires. So for folks out there, you get organizations and they say, hey, you know, let us know where you stand literally on these 40 issues. <laughs> right. Uh, and then turn that back into us and it'll give us an idea of if we want to support you or not questionnaires are rigged games if you have a yeah. questionnaire from the GOBT caucus and they say where do you stand on lgbtqia issues i'm gonna take a pretty good guess where they stand and i'm probably gonna gear the questionnaire you know, towards that you would be surprised yeah. how many people miss the fact that those letters glbt are in there yeah and it's really obvious and, and it's like you know who we are right yeah. when you're talking to them <laughs> but what you said just made me think you know it would be fascinating as a as a candidate to get a questionnaire that says, okay, in this instance, would you support trans rights over, I don't know, whatever, uh, environmental rights? Yeah, and you right. start doing these trade-off questions, and I think very quickly you would find out more about a candidate than just like, do you support things? Because everyone can say they support things right. on paper or not, right? I mean, yeah. it's very easy to write whatever <laughs> you want to an open-ended question. But when push comes to shove, where do people put their priorities? Yeah, because yeah. you can't support everything. There's, yeah. there's too many of them that conflict. And, and, and like in the city of Houston, there's this thing called the uh, you know, revenue cap. Yeah. You can, you can want to do everything you want. It's going to run up against the revenue cap pretty yeah. quick because everything's money. Yeah. You know, and oh, gosh. Are we ready for this hot button issue? Sure. Right. Revenue cap. One, all right. One so final hot button for, for all the road. one final can't one resist final it. Hot button so the road. long story short, I think the fastest way to explain it is uh, back in the day, the Texas legislature, and there were some very good reasons for it, put a cap on how much uh, cities can earn, and or no, mayor, mayor, sorry, mayor Bill White did it in the city of Houston at four point five percent. Okay. So based on either growth or income from taxes, right, it's got to be under four point five percent that you take in every year. Yep. Pl- plus. Uh, adjustments for population. Exactly. That, sorry. Yeah, that's yeah for a population growth. Great. So no matter how much we grow as a city, even if we have a blockbuster year, we can't ever take in more money than 4.5% of what we took last year. And so it puts an artificial cap on how much money we can take in in the city. And this is the frustrating part. So folks are saying, well, why don't you fix our roads? Why don't you fix our trash? Because we're only allowed to take in a certain amount of money. Right. So many folks want to blow the revenue cap off. That's all good and great. I think we should. I, I don't think that we what should that really been... means is you can take in 4.5 percent minus inflation. Yeah. That's how much more fixing you can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's not a lot. Right. We're basically leveling out yeah. in the, the budget we can do more or less. And, and these are all broad, broad strokes. Um, yeah, I think we should blow off the revenue cap. Now, some folks on the other side will say, well, that means you just want to raise our taxes to exorbitant amounts. No, because if we raise taxes, Democrat or Republican, we all know this. If we raise taxes, people will leave the city. That's not what we're trying to do is get so many people to leave the city because, you know, so there's a kind of a, 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 a magic point in life between how high taxes can be before people leave. And then no matter how high you leave and put them, so many people are leaving, right, that you can't get enough money. Right. And I was the, picturing something different. That's why I was laughing. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> my, that's my, how my I get everyone to leave, is, but that's not great. You know, yeah. When there yeah. was a certain evacuation and I didn't bother to evacuate because I figured it was safer here than evacuate. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty nice place to be, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You want to get people out of a city, tell them you're raising taxes. Yeah, that's true. But what, you know, something we don't talk about often is the commercial businesses in Houston that are able to advocate for lower property taxes. So if you look at property taxes in Houston for residential, they keep going up every year and it's pretty much proportional to commercial property taxes and folks being able to argue it down. So in in layman's terms, right, uh, or lay people terms, the uh, skyscraper downtown right? Shell Tower, whatever. They have lawyers that go to Harris County and they say, hey, we're valued at X number of millions of dollars. We really think you should bring the property taxes down to X, Y, Z. And that's a huge chunk. And where do we make up for that money and still stay in revenue cap? So long story short, I think we should be really thinking about those commercial loopholes. Um, and if we're allowing commercial entities to have that kind of access to argue down their property taxes, are we making it just as easy for residential folks to do it? And the answer is no, we aren't. But yeah. there's another little gotcha in there too. Yeah. And that is that when uh, HCAD is looking at the value of a residential property, they frequently will include the best use value of a commercial property at their appraised value as opposed to the argued down value. Yeah. And I... I've argued that with them several times, and 
suddenly they get very flexible on what your value is. <laughs> or, you know, someone was but, just sharing but, this but, with me. you know, I, I have a degree in this stuff. So, oh, yeah, no. I, so, I, so, you know, I, and I'm like, how do other people do this? And they yeah. don't. That's the fact. Uh, it gets very wonky. And, you know, another another loophole in that is Shell Tower, and I'm, I'm just picking on them because that's the only one I can think of today, right? So I don't know their actual value, but say they value their building at $200 million to their stockholders. They go to HCAD and they say, well, we're only really valued at $150 million, and they see a pretty penny on property taxes because HCAD, even if they find it online, can't say, well, you're going to your stockholders and telling them it's $200 million, but how can you tell them $200 million and us $150? HCAD is not allowed to take that information into account right now. No, their stockholders can, by the way. Their stockholders can, yeah, <laughs> and they do, and they pat their lawyers on the back and say, good job. Yeah, you saved us on $50 million worth of property value. Um you know, those are the kind of loopholes that I think people hear those and are like, ah. and And the, the fact, though, if you really get down into it, if you look yeah. at the revenue cap, I don't believe that it is, that it is, I mean, the revenue cap went in with an initiative. Yeah. And I don't think it's possible to remove it. And the reason I don't is because I don't care how much you swear you aren't going to bump property taxes up and you do all the logic. Everyone's like, then why do you want to remove the revenue cap yeah. if you aren't going to do that? And getting people to say, sure. Uh, tax me as much as you want just isn't going to happen. Yeah, because I mean, we're per at personally, I don't like the revenue cap either. I voted against it at the time it came in, but yeah. I, it's there, and and we're stuck with it. You right want new now. fire trucks? You want new garbage trucks? You want more people to catch the dogs on the street? You want? Uh, we're at right now. The city's in a truly a. An, a, a a freeze right on hiring. And I know, for example, that the planning department itself is at 50% capacity. So if you're a business or even a homeowner and you want to get something built, it's running 50% slow because there's only half the people there working. At some level, what's the trade-off to you, right? An extra $50 a year in taxes or keeping the city running? Now, now I will say, you now know. Now that's, that's the so, campaign for the revenue cap. <laughs> I was going to say, now we are rapidly approaching the point where it's not an efficiency issue. You know, I think this is another kind of mythical thing of like, well, government is just inefficient and like, sure, there, any system can have more efficiency. When you're running at 50% capacity, it's not because you're not printing paper double-sided and one-sided instead, right? I mean, oh, those it aren't gets the to a point. I'm talking about. I'm talking okay. about staff and personnel because <laughs> that's the only place you really get money yeah. back. I mean, yeah. a lot of the stuff people go in and look at, it's like, yeah, okay, so you got three cents. Great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay, so what would you like to say to close out, if anything? I've had a wonderful time with you all. Yeah. <laughs> Way to bring the hot button. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. We're usually like, we can edit anything out. And they're like, no, let it roll. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm ready. So, no, I, for me, I want to live in a world where, you know, representation can speak with one another and yeah. show up in communities and bring money to communities and invite the mayor and whoever else they're working with and to have a great conversation and competition and i appreciate you coming today and we really want to thank our patreon patrons and we love you and go to pandavocate.com and on our patreon account feel free to donate one dollar uh, you know any amount you want bigger is better obviously from our end of it and hello uh, it pays for the stuff that we do here it pays for the trans advocate it pays for paying our writers on the trans advocate and so we really appreciate you yeah we appreciate you if you can't donate anything please review the podcast that you're listening on the platform that you're listing it on and share it to the next person because they may not be able to search for it and they may not even think to search for it but they sure may be wanting to connect with community so thank you bye bye thanks for listening to another edition of the trans advocate podcast we are a project of the transgender foundation of america a 501c3 nonprofit organization your support makes what we do possible. Resistance means nothing without supporting elected officials who won't attack trans, intersex, and queer children in our schools. They can't vote, so you're going to have to do it for them. If you live in the U.S. and are not registered to vote, we can help you with that at our site. Register and vote, no matter what. The Trans Advocate Podcast was produced by Kristen Williams, all rights reserved. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Trans Advocate or the Transgender Foundation of America.